Turn with me in your Bibles um, to the Gospel of James. And uh, we're going to create the context for our message today, which is about, um, within the theme, uh, courage at the crossroads. We're going to look at the whole question of courage when faced with opposition. And uh, we got to create the context of chapter 4 by looking very, very briefly at chapter 3. I'll make those connections here in just a minute. But uh, as I was preparing my message, I, I went back into my life to think about, okay, when were there times when I was in the midst of opposition, uh, maybe creating opposition, um, and I needed courage? And um, I, I got thinking about it all week long, and so then I had a chat with Sandy about it, and the two uh, situations that she named were actually um, two of the ones that I'd thought a lot about this week. Uh, one happened several years ago um, when I was involved in, in university ministry. And I was involved in a situation in which I was in incredibly deep conflict um, with uh, the man who, who, who supervised me. We, we had been very, very dear friends, and we got into a, a terrible conflict um, over how we were going to do ministry. It was at that point in, that, in the midst of that conflict and opposition that I learned uh, something that has helped me in life, and it actually is, um, in French we'd call it a phi, it's actually a, a, a deep something deep within my soul that I always need to take, uh, take, take, be aware of it. Uh, I have this deep motivation in my soul that says, I hate being misunderstood. So if I just explain, then everything will get solved. And the deeper we got into this opposition, into this conflict, and the more I tried to explain, and the more he tried to explain, the deeper the conflict got. Um, finally, we came to a mutual agreement that I would, I would leave the ministry. And, um, and that's when the opposition got really bad. Because then there were a whole lot, there were a whole series of accusations that were made against me, um, against my character. Um, I, I was actually accused of fraud, and uh, it, it went really, really deep. Um, by God's grace, as we'll see in this text today, um, we were reconciled, but but it took ten years. Um, the the other thing that I got thinking about where some of you will remember the, the multiple years I, I spent within my functions within Christian direction, but I was on loan to the provincial government to work in publicly funded education. And you'll remember back to those heady days of 1998 to 2002 about the debates of the place of religion in publicly funded education and the opposition that I faced as I was center stage both in parliamentary commissions, uh, in the media, the estates general. And, and, and I learned um, how ferocious 
uh, attacks. I'll remember uh, one time in a parliamentary commission presenting a point of view, and a journalist interviewed me afterwards. And uh, she said, well, really what you're trying to say is, and she said, this is what I was trying to say. And I said, no, no, no. I'm actually trying to say the opposite to that. And she said, no, 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 this is what you're saying. And I said, no, 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 this is what I said. Here's what is written. Well, on the news at 6 o'clock, you'll just know how I was presented by what I was supposedly was saying, but never said. Opposition um, is real. And this morning, the text we're going to look at uh, deals with opposition within the community of faith. Um, but obviously, we're going to make the application to the whole thing. But here's the question. What is courage? We're in the midst of that. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we listen to you this morning because you love us, we love you, and we want to know you better and deeper, and we want to walk in you um, at our own rhythms, but we want to walk in you in faithfulness. And we want to be a people that are marked by courage. So fill us by your spirit, speak to us through your word, and give us those points of application so that we can be courageous, faithful people. In your name, amen. Um, so turn to um, uh, James chapter 4. We're going to read and comment on this text uh, before we come to the application, which quite frankly, in my opinion, is right in the text itself. So the so what this morning is, is right in the text. Um, the book of James is, is really quite fun to take apart. You'll remember uh, that in the first part of chapter 1, there's a whole series of little uh, subjects that Paul picks up on, uh, that, that James picks up on. Um, wisdom, um, perseverance, um, the rich, the humble, temptation. And then he moves at the end of chapter 1 into hearing and obeying the word of God, the voice of God in Jesus Christ. He makes this wonderful comment about what it means to be religious. It's the only place in the New Testament where we get the quote-unquote religion word. And, and then in chapter 2, um, he, he deals with the poor um, in the first part of chapter 2 and how we must not treat them in a malicious way. There must not be favoritism. And then he goes to that wonderful paragraph that Martin Luther hated about faith and works. In fact, because of that little paragraph at the end of chapter 2, um, Martin Luther had a canon that didn't include the book of James. Um, God bless Martin Luther. Uh, but uh, then we come to chapter 3, and so we're really into the third section of the book. Okay, the introduction with a panoply of, of little subjects, then the favoritism and the faith and works. Now we come to chapter 3. And James starts off. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. So anybody who's a leader in the church, anybody who teaches, including Sunday school teachers, there shouldn't be too many of you, James says. For you know that you, that you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Oh, wow. For all of us make many mistakes. That's true. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking 
is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. And then he goes into this passage about the tongue. Now here's what we need to remember. The Bible is written to specific audiences. James is writing to specific audiences. And at this point in his book, he's talking to people who teach. But he's also talking for us. To them, but for us. And so he now goes on to say, the tongue in the church are the teachers. But we can obviously apply that to our own individual lives. And all of us have got the strongest muscle in the body, which is a tongue. So that he speaks to teachers, but we can apply it to all of us. Now, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Here's a classic James thing. He's going to make a comment and he's going to come back. He's going, to, he's going back to something he's already talked about. You know, if any of you lack wisdom, Chapter 1. Now he comes back to it. Who is wise and understanding among you? And we get this wonderful little thought. Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness and wisdom. You want it. You ask for it. God gives it. You show it in your good works that are done with gentleness. But interestingly enough, he's still talking to teachers and leaders in the church, to them, but for us. And now he's going to talk about two types of wisdom in the church. But if you have better, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom, oh boy, listen to this one. Such wisdom does not come from God. So if you're involved in bitter envy and in partisan behavior... That doesn't come from God. It is disorder, wickedness of every kind. Now, now here's what's really interesting. Again, it's in the church. It's talking to leaders. But it's for us. This little word here, bitter envy and selfish ambition, are actually terms in the Greek language that go back to the day of Aristotle. And so James in this passage, Paul picks it up in Philippians chapter 1 and in Philippians 2. And this word is really important today because selfish ambition and bitter evil, according to Aristotle, was behavior that was political in nature. It was rivalry from different partisan points of view. Read the Liberal Party of Canada, the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, the NDP, the Bloc, the Greens, the Popular Party of Canada. All the partisan behavior that's gone on in the last 35 days, that's what Aristotle said is not good. And now, James is saying, if that goes on in the church, that is disorder, that's disrespectful, and it doesn't come from God. That's 
not wisdom. But then, notice what he says. Verse 17, but, okay, in contrast. So in other words, talks to the church, talks to their tongues, their leaders. He says there's two ways to have wisdom. The one is bitter envy and selfish ambition. Don't go there. Now he says, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without a trace of partiality. And then this wonderful statement to end that paragraph, and a harvest of justice is sown by peace for those who make peace. This is what good wisdom looks like. So go back to chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, ask from God. He gives it. He doesn't want you to be double-minded. And now finally at the end of chapter 3, he defines it. Okay. That's the preamble. Now look what James does. Chapter 4. Two parts. Those conflicts and disputes among you. So now... He changes his zoom lens on his camera, puts a wide-angle lens on his camera, and he's no longer talking to teachers and leaders and the tongues of the church. Now he's talking to everybody. And now he goes for the inner community conflicts and those oppositions that show up in the church. And he says, those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Uh-oh. Do they not come from cravings that are war within you? Now, there's a really play on images here because if you read those conflicts and disputes, the actual word is, where do those wars come from? And Paul says, those wars come not from your opposition. They come from within you. And now he's obviously thinking about what Jesus had to say. You know, where does all that bad stuff come from you in Mark 7? Doesn't come from out there. Out there only reveals what's going on inside you. And so the accent now is on the inner pleasures, the inner cravings, the things that push us. And those things are at war within you. Now, now look what, look what James does in verses 2 and 3. Here's the list of where the war is at. You covet and you don't have. You kill and are jealous and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, but you do not get what you want. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend on what you get on your own pleasures. And he creates a perfect structure all around the conjunction and. You covet and here's what happens. You, um, you kill and are jealous and this is what happens. And so all James is doing is he's pushing the whole community to confront all the opposition that they find themselves in and he's saying, this is nothing other than the war of cravings in your own individual souls and in your corporate souls. 
there's a lot of debate in the literature as to what was James getting at. But this is why we need to read this paragraph within the larger narrative structure of the book. Paul's probably talking about this partiality in the church, where people would come into the church well-dressed, other poor people would come, and the people well-dressed would sit on this side, and the other ones would sit on this side, preferably in the back. Some people would say, look at my faith. Other people would say, look at my works. And this is all the conflicts and the debates that are going on in the church. I, I always have to chuckle when I hear people say, the best way to solve the problems in the church in 2021 is we need to go back to the early church. And I always want to say, God save us. <laughs> we need to go back to the Holy Spirit. You know, here's what was going on in the early church. And so what does Paul, what does James say? Adulterers, all of you. Verse 4. You're nothing but a bunch of adulterers. I mean, what a scathing affirmation. And so he says, all this craving is the antithesis to the character of God. So all this opposition, these conflicts, these disputes, everything going on, this is, this is the antithesis to who God really is. And to make his point, he, he cites a verse from the scriptures in verse 5. Listen to what he says, verse 5. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? It's a marvelous affirmation. The one problem we've got is we're not quite sure where that comes from in the Old Testament. Where, what, what is James actually citing? Well, it, it's not too important to nail it down. Well, what's really important to understand is this is so antithetical to who God is because God is a God who is jealous to preserve the spirit in the church and in the lives of individuals in the church. And then he comes to the end. He says, here's the fundamental remedy. But he gives more grace, therefore, as it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so really what James is saying, that if you remain proud and you continue to seek the world, God's jealousy, God's resistance will surely fall on you. But all is not lost. There is still a greater graciousness, which is part of who God is. And if we will simply humble ourselves, God will extend his grace and his mercy. That's the point he wants to get. The remedy to all this conflict, all these disputes, all this opposition is nothing less than the character and the love and the graciousness of God. And the only way to it is through humility. And so James is here quoting Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 35. So we might not know the citation in verse 5, but we sure know what the citation is in verse 6. So one in this context could say, okay, there's going to be inevitable conflicts in the church. Jesus had told, that, told us that in Matthew chapter 18. But we don't leave it at that. Where do we go? 
we go to the marvelous character of God. But James is nobody's fool. And so what does he do beginning in verse 7? He goes to the so what. He goes to the application. And now he runs off from verses 7 to 10. 10 imperatives with all sorts of echoes from other things that he said in the book. Listen to the list. In other words, he says, if you want to follow this beautiful character of God who is jealous for the spirit in the church and the spirit in your individual lives, if you want to experience who God is in the face of opposition, it's all rooted in the character of God, and here's how to get there. Submit, resist the devil, draw near to God, Cleanse your hands, purify your double-minded ways. Okay, there's chapter one, everybody that doesn't ask for, for, for God's wisdom. They're double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep, laugh. And then in verse 10, he comes right back to where he started in verse 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, which is exactly what he had said in chapter 1 and verse 9. So James actually gives us wonderful insight into how to face opposition. Now remember, the context this morning in this text is opposition, conflicts, disputes in the church. But it's interesting in this text, he says, if you go the way of conflicts and debates, you are actually, boy, he's tough in this passage, you're actually a friend of the world. That's why he calls them adulterers. They're not following the way of God. And the solution is these 10 imperatives. Okay, that, that's what the, the text says. Okay, how does the text apply to us within those 10 imperatives? It's probably good for us this morning to just make sure that we get where all this fits in with courage. Let me try to be really explicit here. As I was working on the text, I began to think, okay, where does courage fit into all of this? Courage, it would seem to me, is that inner strength, both individually and corporately, to persevere, to endure, to stay at it in the face of danger, difficulty, and fear. So when we get into situations of opposition, okay, I, I named a, a, a real flaw in my character when I'm in opposition. My, my fallback position is, okay, Glenn, um, just explain. They'll, they'll get it, just explain. Okay, rationality takes over, and rationality, quite frankly, is overrated. Um, you know, I hate to be misunderstood, so just make yourself understood. So, so what happens? When we get into situations of opposition, this is where the virtue of courage comes in. Some people become cowards. So they just withdraw. That's kind of the classic Christian response. 
well, God doesn't like conflict, so the best way to deal with conflict is to ignore it. Okay, that's just cowardice. That's not courage. And then there's other people that go the other way. I've got friends like this. They've never seen a conflict that they're not willing to jump into and add fuel to. And they just get rash. And they, just, they say things and do things that are actually irresponsible. That's not courage. So in the context of opposition and conflicts and debates, what's important is to not go the way of being rashful, not to go the way of cowardice, but to develop that inner perseverance, that inner strength that endures in the face of danger, difficulty, and ultimately fear. Now, in this text, it's obvious that the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil is obvious in, the, in these churches that James is writing to. And the world, the flesh, and the devil, they just add gasoline to the bitter envy and the selfish ambition and the partisan behavior that was going on in these communities. And that led to war that manifested itself in all these conflicts in these debates. And so when we take it apart, we can see, okay, we've got to name the opposition. We've got to put a name on it. You can't tame what you don't name. And then you begin to say, okay, am I going to trust the Spirit of God to give me the courage to deal with it in humility? And that's where I think the ten imperatives come in. There's, there's a wonderful to these. Submit yourself before God. You start off with verse 6. Humble yourself before God. Don't run into opposition with your sword. Begin in a posture of humility. And often in the midst of opposition, probably the best first thing to say is, I'm not sure I understood correctly. Resist the devil. James is so strong on this. In most conflicts and in most opposition, there's a diabolical force in it. Don't deny it. Draw near to God. Listen to the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to point out what you're wrong, what, what, what you're doing wrong. That's what I had to do in both of the situations I was in. I had to say, my posture first and foremost needs to be listen. Listen to God. It's sad that in our culture, we actually have to add an adjective to this word. We actually now have to talk about being active listeners. I mean, it's really too bad, but it is true. So we need to be listening to God. Then comes confession. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Confess what you've done wrong before God. Agree with God that what you have done, said, thought is, is wrong before him who is jealous for the spirit that he's put in you. <laughs> Three of the ten. Be miserable. Mourn. Weep. When we get into situations like this, there needs to be an element of lament. Conflicts that aren't solved are deplorable before God. 
But there comes a time when hopefully we can nine laugh. We can smile. As I said, it took 10 years, but I finally was reconciled with my brother. I was able to name the things that I had done wrong and I regretted. He was able to apologize for what he did and how he said and many of the accusations he made. Took a long time, but we got there. And where does the loop end up? Be humble. Be meek. And so my friends this morning, we must be a people of courage. But in the context of opposition, don't move to cowardice. Don't move to rashness. Take the position of James chapter 4, 7 to 10. And take that tenfold process and apply it. Now, I realize that 10 things are an awful lot of things to try and remember. Okay? Most of us are probably good at maybe three. Okay? Pick three of them. But of the three you pick, make sure you pick the first one and the last one. Submit and be humble.